is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand, welcome to the program. A carbon company has swooped in and bought a Territory cattle station for nearly $30 million. I'll share the details of that deal with you in just a moment. Meanwhile, there's been some lovely rain in the top end over the last 24 hours, and there's more to come. One week you're out there fighting bushfires, and the next week you're running around in the rain. So it was just a really good atmosphere out here. And on top end radars this afternoon, there's plenty of colour. If it's raining in your part of the Territory this afternoon, let the rest of us know. Our text number 0487 991057. Always love getting your weather updates. We love hearing about the rain. And there's a bit around this afternoon. 0487 991057. The text number here at the Country Hour. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC. G'day if you are tuning in via the podcast. First up today, we've got some property news for you. Ban Ban Springs Station, north of Pine Creek, has been bought by a carbon company for $28.9 million. The corporate carbon group is involved in over 100 carbon projects around Australia and says it's interested in Ban Ban's cattle potential as well as running a Savannah Fire Management carbon project. The sales agent for this deal is Rawdon Briggs from Colliers International. I spoke to him earlier on. Uh, Bam Bam's major feature is its proximity to Darwin and it's um, high rainfall within that region. Uh, Certainly well sought after as far as uh, some of these dry years that we've experienced, Matt, through 19 and 20. Uh, The top end certainly become more more of interest to cattlemen and um, probably more... Uh, more interest to carbon farming uh, operators, but, uh, you know, corporate carbon is certainly uh, a group that, that have quite a significant bit, um, cattle business in southern Queensland as well and in north Queensland. So they, uh, they, they sort of look, look through the lens of both beef cattle first and then uh, carbon second. So can you give us a sense of this company Corporate Carbon. Uh, explain to our audience who they are and, and their plans for Ban Ban. Uh, corporate Carbon been around a long time. I mean, I think we're probably approaching sort of nine or ten properties that we've sold to them over the years. They began purchasing some properties in southwest Queensland through Colliers um, some years ago and then more recently have participated in the Northern Territory sale processes and also North Queensland and um, uh, very good to deal with. They're um, follow through on what they say they're going to do um, as a general rule and have been uh, very good to deal with whenever um, we've been involved with them. So, so yeah, they're, they're involved in um, in a number of projects uh, outside of the ones that they actually own. Quite a, quite a large, I guess, uh, carbon farmer in their own right, but also uh, through their business um, corporate advice work that they've done, uh, you know, the top three player, let's say. It's plans for Ban Ban. What do you know? Uh, business as usual, just to enhance what they're doing. Um, um, Ty and Hannah are remaining on property and they will keep their, their arrangements with their incumbent suppliers and contractors. They're certainly wanting to take it to another level and and um, develop that, that partial lease further um, and enhance what's already been done and by, by um, Nico and Nico Botha and 
and the Lachlan family in, in their last seven years of ownership, they've done a very good job of turning that property around. In purchasing Ban Ban is the, uh, the opportunity to do Savannah burning to generate carbon credits. That's the main game there? Uh, yes, that is the main game there. But uh, remembering, Matt, uh, that the Albanese government have uh, made it very clear that they're going to make some announcements around offsets and inclusion of terrestrial offsets may be stackable within any of their um, projects going forward. So I think that announcement's due in February of 2023 and that will allow owners to explore um, uh, I guess, uh, flora and fauna, um, species offset as well as carbon offset as well as stackable um, environmental outcomes. So it's certainly the wish uh, of the Labor government federally to uh, potentially put them all together and get a better environmental outcome for, for any of those uh, type of projects. And just so I'm clear on this, Rawdon, has Corporate Carbon bought the station and the cattle? Uh, the property has been purchased without any livestock. So who owns the cattle on there? Uh, I'll let others comment on that, but we, at this stage, they they will buy cattle, just to be clear. We'll operate it under their pastoral lease requirements. They have to, and that's literally only this week. They're buying cattle as we speak. When the Northern Cattle Station goes up for sale these days, Rawdon, how much interest mm-hmm. is coming in from carbon companies? Uh, well, if we look at Wall Hollow, we look at uh, even properties like Mount Doreen, which sold um, a couple of months ago, uh, which had uh, areas of Mulga on the eastern end of it, we're seeing at least 10% of bidders, 10 15%, have got a carbon story in their bid price. So they might be an outright carbon player, but they're taking in consideration the carbon potential of a property when they're making a bid. So they may have a carbon uh, financing facility, for instance, um, or they have clear mandates within their you know, websites or public public um, domain type data that state that they need to um, buy properties that have, have these potentials. And is Corporate Carbon Group looking to buy more stations in the Northern Territory? Yes, they are. So... Um, they're, I guess, not necessarily um, uh, knocking down the door of anyone, but there's some clear targets that we've discussed, and um, that, that'll be uh, that'll be progressing in due course. That is Rawdon Briggs, head of agribusiness transaction services with Colliers International, speaking to us today about the sale of Banban Springs Station to the north of Pine Creek. I'm joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald. Uh, what more can you tell us, Dan, about Corporate Carbon Group? Uh, well, Matt, they're certainly one of the bigger players in the carbon abatement space in Australia. Um, they do their own carbon projects, but they also do a bit of management for, for others as well. Um, according to its website, uh, Corporate Carbon is involved in more than 100 carbon projects, including in things like renewable energy, soil carbon, reforestation, uh, carbon capture and storage, and savannah fire management. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't the only recent purchase. Uh, just back in September, uh, the company bought Watson River Station in Queensland's Cape York Peninsula, paid around $12 million for that property. Uh, we did ask 
them for an interview about uh, Ban Ban Springs purchase. Uh, they, nobody was available, but we have got this statement. It says, Corporate Carbon Group will be working to complement the existing cattle production operations with a Savannah Fire Management Carbon project on the property. It says, we look forward to welcoming the on board with us the current property managers who've managed the property for the past seven years to maintain operations at Ban Ban Springs Station. Oh, it goes on to say, we are currently assessing all activities on the property, including the annual camp draft events, <laughs> yep. uh, and we'll consider how we can continue or enhance those to benefit uh, the local community. Um, yeah, so it looks like uh, cattle operations are going to continue, but there will be that uh, continuing focus on the savannah burning. Um, ben, and this ben, is a station that has some history here. Yeah, it's been doing it for quite some time. Um, originally signed up way back in 2013. Um, for the first Savannah fire burning on the project. Um, looking at the ERF website, um, that project's generated more than 58,000 carbon credit units since 2013. Right, so Savannah burning a ban ban has generated 58,000 carbon credit units. Yes. At today's it. price, Dan, that's around $1.8 million right. of what's been generated. That's not profit, but that's what's been generated. But mm, interesting, people will be able to read more about this deal later on this afternoon if they check out the NT Country Hour website. <laughs> Hi, my name's Savannah Phillip. I work at Humtadoo Barramundi. We're currently feeding thousands of baby Barramundi right now, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Let's stay on the topic of carbon. Australia's red meat industry wants to be carbon neutral by 2030, and the Australian government wants the nation to produce 30% less methane by 2030. There's a bit going on in this space. So what can farmers and cattle producers in the Northern Territory be doing at the moment to reach carbon neutrality in the next eight years? Professor Richard Eckhart from the University of Melbourne is one of the world's leading experts in the field of carbon neutral ag. He's been in the Northern Territory this month hosting workshops and his big advice to producers is be careful. To me, there's... And, and forgive me, but there, there's so much predatory behaviour out there in flogging things on farmers they don't need that I would just say stay out of it um, because by 2030 you'll need to keep your own carbon for yourself to access your own supply chain. So the notion that you've got surplus to sell now when 2030 you might be going back and buying your own carbon back so that you can sell your product We'll, we'll wake up too late that we've been selling carbon for short-term gain when we needed to keep it and inset it for ourselves. Um, so while there's that kind of uncertainty and nefarious things happening, I would just say ignore it and just get on with the main game, which is cattle farming. <laughs> so avoid the carbon market. Look, if it's an emissions avoidance, like a beef herd methodology or savannah burning, yeah, there's no, there's no risk. The risk comes when you offer to store carbon in trees and soils. There's big risk because it's all about rainfall. And, and those are the ones I would avoid by all means. Savannah burning, it either did or didn't happen. Beef herd methodology, the animals either did or didn't leave early. A uh, lot more transparent, a lot easier. And I'd say, yep, go for you, go for your life. If you can get a good deal on those methods, go for it. But human-induced regeneration, soil carbon, um, I'd steer clear. What do you think of the future of the carbon credits and the carbon market? Look, the Net Zero Australia plan said that agriculture is going to struggle to meet its own supply chain demands by 2030. 
So by 2030, no one's selling carbon credits in agriculture anymore. It, it, the whole conversation's gone because we all know that we need to keep our carbon for ourselves. And so this is a short-term noise that we're going through between now and 2030, after which you want to sell to the supply chain, you've got to demonstrate that you've kept your carbon for yourself. You don't have to uh, give away your carbon credits to an aggregator. You just keep them all for your own supply chain access. And so we, we're working with MLA to build the tools that will allow that accounting to take place at a farm level. And um, I, I think that'll be the main game. And then the whole conversation will switch to biodiversity. What do we really value out of the rangelands? We value biodiversity. We value those birds. We value the trees. We value the, the diversity of the rangelands. Oh, and yes, we can produce beef out of that system as well. 2030, you know, it's a year that we we hear a lot in these discussions around carbon and carbon neutrality. Um, you know, the red meat industry is their target to be carbon neutral yeah, by 2030. By 2030. Um, you mentioned before um, the Australian government wants to be 30% less methane, wants to produce 30% less methane by 2030. So we've got some big targets all set to reach in the next eight years, which isn't very far away. I guess, what do you see the world looking like post 2030? Yeah, look, you've got to remember MLA's strategy of CN30 is a whole of industry strategy. It's not an individual farm strategy. So there will be some that can be neutral by 2030, and there's others that can't even do anything by 2030. Um, and and let's, let's let that happen at a whole of industry level where we, we look at land clearing across the whole industry rather than, um, rather than individual farms. We look at uh, the confinement industries or the um, partial supplement industries achieving 70% less methane, whereas the rangeland systems don't. Um, and the same with the National Methane Pledge or the, the Global Methane Pledge. It's, it's a whole of economy pledge. What we've got to see there is we've got to see each fracking industry or open-cut mine measure its methane on site because nobody knows what's going off to the atmosphere from those projects. You know, we, we think of uncertainty in methane from animals. Well, we, we have far more certainty than what comes out of a fracking project or out of an open-cut mine. So what we first got to do is actually start measuring what's coming from those systems at each site, and then we know what we can do about methane. I guess lastly, um, Rich, is that what's the one thing you'd want Northern Territory farmers and landholders to be thinking about right now? Look, carbon markets are coming. It, it's real. Um, uh, carbon markets won't be the main game by 2030. Just achieving a higher biodiversity, a better carbon balance in the rangeland, um, adhering to best practice, um, getting animals out to market earlier, um, and then watch the research that's coming through because it's a global effort in research to to provide them with long-term solutions. That is Professor Richard Eckhard from the University of Melbourne speaking there to Annie Brown, warning cattle producers in particular to be careful. It's a quarter to one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Is it raining at your place this afternoon? There's a fair bit of colour on the radar. 0487 1057 is the text number here at the Country Hour. Producer Dan, is it pouring rain outside? In downtown Darwin? Not really. Flogged down rain probably 20 minutes ago, but uh, has eased off since. But maybe it's pouring at your place. Looks like Annabrew Station is copying a flogging as we go to air. 0487 991057 is our text number. Now, if you've been tuning into the Country Hour over the last month or so, you will know that the Northern Gas Pipeline, Tennant Creek to Mount Isa, is basically sitting idle. No gas flowing to Mount Isa. Now, what does this mean for Incitec Pivot? 
one of the big customers at the other end of the pipeline. You'll be hearing from it next. It's released its financial results. It's got some commentary around the gas pipeline. So we'll share that next with you on the Country Hour after some Chris Stapleton. Chris Stapleton on a Tuesday lunchtime. This is the Country Hour, and there's a bit of rain across the top end this afternoon. Someone here reporting that it is, quote, hammering down at Dundee Beach, and Haggis says, mate, got 52 millimetres yesterday, 36 on Sunday, and it's pouring now. How good, says Haggis. And judging from the radar, a wet, wet afternoon on Groot Island. G'day, I'm Angus gidley Baird. I'm the Senior Animal Proteins Analyst with Rabobank and you're listening to The Country Hour. Australian fertiliser and explosives manufacturer Intertech Pivot has faced quite a few challenges this year but in the end has posted a net profit after tax of more than $1 billion. The Country Hour's Clint Jasper takes a look. This year, the price of fertilisers soared after Russia's invasion of Ukraine exacerbated existing supply chain issues, as well as spiking gas prices around the world. In its full-year results, Incitec Pivot reported the price of diammonium phosphate, or DAP, rose from $524 a tonne to $851 a tonne, while urea went from $373 a tonne to $710 a tonne. Despite the price rises, Managing Director and CEO Gianna Johns says the company expects demand from farmers to remain strong into next year. We are very well placed to deliver increased volumes from Foss Hill this year and well positioned to grow our recurring distribution earnings by delivering on our soil health strategy with farm economics expected to remain favourable through the year. Making fertilisers hasn't been easy or cheap. High gas prices made manufacturing more expensive at the company's Phosphate Hill facility, which was compounded by the shutdown of a major gas pipeline that supplied gas from the Northern Territory to Queensland. Despite this, it expects to produce over a million tonnes of fertiliser at Phosphate Hill in the next financial year, saying its gas supplier has confirmed full quantities will be restored by February next year. The gas team secured feedstock for Foss Hill following curtailments in contracted supplies. And while it has come at an elevated cost, it has enabled us to keep the plant running at full rates and capture the earning potential. But by the end of this year, the company will shut down its other facility at Gibson Island, where it briefly produced AdBlue during a national shortage. Overall, thanks to the high prices as well as the lower Australian dollar, the company's fertiliser business saw revenue more than double and earnings climb 130% to $614 million. Clint Jasper with that report. And as we go to air this afternoon, shares in Incitec Pivot are up 7.2%. The G20 summit is underway in Bali today and it's been confirmed that Prime Minister Anthony Albanese will hold formal talks with his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. Farmers will no doubt be interested to see how these talks go because, as you know, it's been a complicated few years when it comes to trade with China. Richard McGregor from the Lowly Institute says a lot of China's trade sanctions have actually failed and Australia's got a lot more bargaining power than it realises. 
Well, look, it, it's really a sector-by-sector sector analysis because each sector is different. Um, I guess there's a couple of headline findings. First of all, some of the sectors have been badly damaged. Uh, you know, wine and lobsters, for example. Wine has, you know, nearly 100% tariffs on, on some particular wines. And that has really wiped out what was an extremely valuable uh, uh, export trade with China altogether, as it were. But if you, get, if you look at it sector by sector, uh, the situation is very, very different. We, we have the impression from, you know, the media in many respects, and not unfairly, is that Australia depends on China. We are dependent on them because they make, take such a large percentage of our exports. But if you drill down at the exports themselves, we're interdependent. In other words, they depend on us as much as we depend on them. Let me give you some quick examples. Iron ore, about 70% of China's exports come from Australia. LNG, 55%. And in, uh, in the case of wool, 95% of Chinese imports come from Australia. So they need us as much as we need them in those areas. That interconnectedness is a, is a really interesting idea. Some in the wool industry, for example, have said that uh, relying on one buyer for so much of the clip is um, a risk for Australian wool growers. What do you what did you find when you looked into that? Well, it's undoubtedly a risk. Um, you know, if you if you depend sort of so much on one buyer, then you're at risk. But you know, the reverse is true, and that's why China hasn't disturbed the wool trade. Um, it's a risk for us, and it's a risk for them, so both sides have minimised that risk by doing nothing to disturb it. You know, for example, if China were to say, well, we're not going to take any more Australian wool, they wouldn't be able to get it from somewhere else. And if they are going to diversify, it will take them years uh, to do so. So it's kind of counterintuitive, but... I think it's to Australia's benefit to, you know, maintain that dependency um, because, you know, if China doesn't have anywhere else to go, they will stick with us. I mean, to put it in a funny way, you know, the old saying, you know, keep your um, friends close, your enemies closer. And in the case of China, it's kind of like keep your friends close and your frenemies closer um, because if the dependency is maintained, then China is not going to be able to sanction those areas of trade. When you step back and look at the overall big picture, what did you find about whether these trade restrictions had um, uh, the intended effect that China may have been hoping for? Well, there's no doubt that the Chinese trade sanctions um, or trade blockages, as people prefer to call them, have failed. Um, in their intended effect. The intended effect for China would be twofold. First of all, uh, China sanctions Australia and Australia changes its political position more to the liking of China. Secondly, Australia, China sanctions Australia. Australia uh, pays a massive cost. Other countries see that. They also change their policies in a way to make them more friendly to China. Well, neither of those things have happened, and largely because of what we just talked about, the interdependencies between the two countries. So even though China has exacted you know, uh, massive sanctions against us, uh, the overall macro impact of the trade blockages has been minimal. Trade in iron ore has continued, LNG has continued, wool has continued, and in the case of some other commodities, commodity markets are fungible. Our coal has been blocked by China. It's just gone into other markets. 
and the same with barley. Now, it's true that there's an impact. Like in barley, we lost a premium. Instead of se selling to Chinese beer makers, it now goes to feed barley in, say, Saudi Arabia. The same applies to meat um, and beef. You know, we've lost um, some ground in the Chinese market, and China plays a big premium for beef. And so there is damage, and I think in the longer term, there's probably likely to be more damage. But for the moment, uh, we've, we've sort of come out of the first round looking much more intact uh, than many people had predicted when this all started. So has anything changed over the last couple of years? There's been a change of government, also a softening of some of the rhetoric between China and Australia around these trade uh, difficulties. Has anything changed yeah. or should we expect this to continue? Well, there's, there has been a change, I think, for a number of reasons. Partly it's a change in government and that gives both sides a chance for a bit of a, a, a reset. And the Labor government hasn't really changed China policy, but it's certainly dialed down the rhetoric. And that has allowed our ministers uh, to meet again for the first time in two, three years. So things have changed. I think there's another reason for the change. And in, in a perverse sort of way, the Ukraine war has helped in this. You know, Ukraine has destabilized global energy markets. It's destabilized global, you know, wheat markets, agricultural markets. And in a funny sort of way, China sees that. That's not in their interest. And they see, look at a country like Australia, which is an important player in both those markets, and they think, well, maybe we should be talking to Australia, you know, tactically change a little bit, because we can't alienate a country like that <clears throat> too much with such instability in those markets. Richard McGregor, Senior Fellow for East Asia for the Lowy Institute, speaking there to Josh Becker. We've still got plan to come on today's Country Hour, including an update on the federal court case between Santos and traditional owners on the Tiwi Islands. But now it is news time on your ABC, one o'clock. Hi, I'm Sophie. I work at Monsoon Aquatics and I love working with giant clams. You're listening to Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Traditional owners from the Tiwi Islands are back in the federal court today in their fight against oil and gas giant Santos. We'll bring you the latest on that in just a moment. And we'll also be celebrating some beautiful rain in the top end. One week you're out there fighting bushfires and the next week you're running around in the rain. So it was just a really good atmosphere out here. Yeah, that's Delamere Station getting its first decent rains for the season. Is it raining at your place this afternoon? 0487 99157 is the text number at the Country Hour. Someone has sent us, I've got 15 millimetres so far, but they haven't told us where and who they are. 15 millimetres somewhere in the Northern Territory. <laughs> Hammering down at Dundee Beach and pouring out at Noonamar. And someone here says we'll... Anthony Albanese demand that China immediately stop building the many hundreds of coal-fired power stations that they're building all while we are shutting down ours. That is in reference to our earlier story about the G20 getting underway and our Prime Minister having a formal meeting with his Chinese counterpart. I'm just looking at the spot price for coal, the Newcastle coal price, historically extremely high, extremely high. 
So it reached close to, what, 450 US dollars a tonne a couple of months back. But it's still sitting at 330 US dollars a tonne. That is printing money for some of those operations in Queensland, New South Wales. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Rebecca Patrick is there this afternoon. Beck, there's a few storms around. Tell us what's happening. Yeah, that's right. Um, currently on the radar, we're seeing storms um, from Darwin uh, down through to around Daly River. Um, so pretty active through there. Also, um, a storm starting to develop over the Arnhem district as well, particularly the, the southern Arnhem. Um, we've had a trough move up into the top end, so that's making things a little bit more active um, today and, uh, and for the next few days. You did at one stage have a severe thunderstorm warning in place for the Daly District, but that threat has eased now? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, that was earlier today with that trough. Um, the the storms were quite slow moving, so we, we did issue that, that warning um, earlier today. As you said, that has um, started to ease off now. Um, but, um, yeah, just be mindful that that is um, perhaps a situation that we're in the next few days, that there could be more um, warnings out for for potentially heavy rainfall with these slow-moving storms um, across the top end. So November is starting to get a bit of action into it. Can you explain to us what's driving all this activity? Yeah, so I guess um, moving into November is when we start to see a little bit more um, active conditions. Uh, We've had a trough that's moved up through uh, central parts of the, the Territory and has just moved into the top end now, so um, that that helps to contribute to the increased thunderstorm activity. Can you share some of the best rainfall figures with us up to 9 o'clock this morning? Uh, yeah, so the 24 hours to 9am, the highest that we've got was for MacArthur River Mine with 70 millimetres. Um, uh, for anyone out there that has been looking on our um, web pages for the rainfall, I should mention um, that there is another one that's, I think it's still on the web, Old Delamere, but mm-hmm. um, that's incorrect. Um, we've got some techs out there that have been playing with the with the instruments, so they've um, uh, unfortunately put that. No doubt there. that site did receive some rainfall, but not 128. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, we're, we're about to hear lesson. actually from Delamere Station, which got twenty-five millimeters over the twenty-four uh, hour period. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some other totals. Merlin Mine with um, fifty-two millimeters. Um, yeah, so pretty decent around that um, Gulf of Carpentaria area. Um, also, Bradshaw has come in with thirty-three. Um, and on the Adelaide River near Dirty Lagoon, um, 36 millimetres. So some reasonable rainfall around the place. On social media, Avago Station is reporting 17 millimetres in the gauge this morning. MacArthur River Cattle Station's had 90 overnight and still raining. Matheson Station enjoying 12 millimetres. And I've got here someone recording 96 millimetres at the Catherine Rural College. So there's a bit around and there's more to come, hey, Beck? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, So, yeah, the top end is expecting those scattered showers and storms for much of the week um, with those slow-moving storms dropping some some rainfall. Um, Also expecting the showers and storms to spread 
uh, further south as well. So at the moment, it's a little bit clearer um, across the, the southern districts, um, but we are expecting it to become more active later this afternoon through the, the Gregory and, and Tanami districts, um, but then spreading further south from tomorrow as well. Um, yeah, expecting those storms in the south for the next few days. Okay. And when you, in, in terms of how far south could people expect moisture? Yeah, from from tomorrow, um, expecting it right to the border. Today uh, should all be um, north of north of Alice Springs, so more likely the the northwest Berkeley, northern northern Tanami areas. Um, expecting today, uh, but yeah, from from tomorrow onwards, throughout much of the territory, probably a little bit less um, along the the eastern border areas um, until we get this. We've got a trough moving through uh, across the weekend, so um, that will help to to spread things a bit further east as well. Beauty. Anything else we need to be aware of? Um, just keep an eye out for, for any thunderstorm warnings um, over the next few days. There is also a risk of um, damaging winds through the um, through the, the Tanami and Gregory districts today um, uh, with any thunderstorms through that area. Beauty. Okay, thanks for your time this afternoon. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. Is it raining at your place this afternoon? 0487 1057 is the text number. A fair dig of some of this correspondence. So we've had someone say, yep, I've got 15 millimetres, but they haven't told us where. And someone else is reporting that it's wet. De- What's going on here, Dan? <laughs> you can't report that it's wet. That's that's lacking insight. <laughs> it's accurate, though. Give them that. 12 past one here on the Country Hour. With ABC Listen, explore a whole new world of podcasts and live radio. Like unpicking fast fashion in Veronica Milsom's podcast, Threads. The marketing tricks being used on us right now. Or learning to spend less and live better with Nazim Hussain's Pineapple Project. Do we all really need it? And if we do, how do we get it for cheap? The ABC Listen app. A whole new world of live radio and on-demand audio entertainment. Download it now from your app store. It's been a hot month for the team at Delamere Station in the VRD. They've been battling fires as well. But thankfully, a bit of rain. They got 25 millimetres yesterday, which is their first decent rain for the season. Max Rowley caught up with the governess at the station, Maddie, who spoke to him about the downpour. Yeah, so yesterday afternoon I had actually just been for a little run um, and I came down to help one of the kids feed the calves. And just as we were putting them away, it just started bucketing down with rain. Um, and the young kid, he's 13, and he just wanted to go running in the rain. Like, it was so good to see. Um, I mean, the last couple of weeks, we've had bushfires out here. So it's pretty surreal to be, you know, one week you're out there fighting bushfires, and the next week you're running around in the rain. So it was just a really good atmosphere out here. And does that mean the, the bushfires, has this put a damper on those bushfires? Yeah, pretty well. Um, everything around here is pretty well burnt, so hopefully it'll all turn green now with a little bit of rain, so we should be safe around here anyway. Is this the first big fall for the season there at Delamere? Yeah, this is the first main um, bit of rain we've had. The stations next door have had a bit, but it's just, it just keeps missing us, which is unfortunate. Um, so we were very lucky to get some rain last night. Must have been a pretty good mood there at the station then with those yeah. falls. Yeah, everyone just kind of got a drink and went up to the social club. We're on top of an escarpment, so we just sat up there and 
watch the storm rolling and you can see all the lightning strikes, so it's pretty cool to see. And how is the, the station looking there today? A few puddles around? Yeah, a few puddles, and our head stockman went for a drive earlier, um, and a few of the creek crossings are up. You couldn't even get um, over one, which is kind of good to see. And uh, the school day, what, what were the kids like then? Um, bit hyped up, actually. I think one of them wanted to go swimming in the dam, and I was like, oh, it's probably not quite full enough yet, but they're pretty keen to get out there. So uh, the the rain hasn't quite filled up the surface water enough no, just yet? No, not yet. We still need a fair bit, but hopefully this is the beginning of it, and we keep getting a few more of those afternoon storms. And there's been some pretty wild weather around, a bit of damage. What were the winds like with that storm? Um, yeah, pretty windy. And like yesterday, we thought um, we thought the storm was going to roll back around because the wind just picked up again. Um, but it never did, unfortunately. But who knows what the next few days will bring. That is Maddie, who's the governess at Delamere Station, 25 millimetres in the gauge yesterday. More to come. And just looking at the NAFI website, so this is the North Australian Fire Information website. You can see the impact that this rain in the top end is having. All of a sudden, a lot of fires that were causing such heartache for cattle producers in the last week or so, all of a sudden, not so many red dots on the map in the top end. In central Australia, however, there's some really large fires burning as we go to air this afternoon. Really big blaze to the west of Earl Dunder. Uh, producer Dan, we might try and get in contact with the people out in that part of the Territory because judging from the satellite, that is a large fire and there's a few more in that region of the Northern Territory. G'day, it's Trent here from Catherine and I'm here feeding Old Mate the Crocodile. Yes, Old Mate is actually his name. He's 2.4 metres and he's a saltwater crocodile. You wouldn't want to meet one of these fellas late at night. Take it easy, you're listening to The Country Hour. It is 16 past one. You might remember in September, traditional owners on the Tiwi Islands won a federal court challenge against Santos's Barossa gas project in the Timor Sea. This court case is back today, however. I'm joined in this year by Dan Fitzgerald. What is going on? Uh, well, yeah, there is a bit more going on here, Matt. Um, firstly, just a reminder, the court ruled that the um, approval of that project, it was invalid. Uh, it ordered Santos to remove the drill rig from the gas field, gave it two weeks to do it um, after the court um, ruled that the regulator failed to assess whether Santos's ap- approval application showed it had consulted with all the relevant parties. Uh, Santos appealed that decision. I believe it got a bit of an expedited appeal process, and that is kicked off in the federal court in Melbourne today. Okay. Um, so the lawyers are back at it. Uh, Tiwi Islanders and some protesters gathered in front of the court there in Melbourne uh, today. Uh, Green Senator Lydia Thorpe spoke um, there. We've got a little bit of what she said here. This country should be ashamed of itself. Don't talk treaty. Don't talk voice to parliament. If you can't talk about saving country and sea country for our old people and our young people who are begging you, who are fighting every system in every way they possibly can to maintain their survival. It's an absolute shame on this country. Victorian Green Senator Lydia Thorpe there speaking out in front of the federal court. 
Now, uh, inside the courtroom, um, according to its appeal notice, Santos um, is arguing that the judge was wrong to find that it did not adequately consult with traditional owners before seeking approval from the federal regulator. Uh, The gas giant says it wasn't obliged to consider sea country material in its environment plan and that it also didn't need to consult with specific traditional owners. That's what it will be arguing in court today, hoping to that appeal to get up and overturn the original decision. Um, Santos has a lot riding on it. This is a $4.7 billion project that it needs um, and it wants to uh, backfill the Darwin LNG plant, which is uh, due to run out of gas from the Bayundan field pretty soon. Okay, thank you for the update and I'm sure there'll be more on the ABC News later on this evening. It's 19 past one on the country hour. Up next, we're heading to the Catherine rural campus, which has played host to some school students that have come from a long way away. They've come from Melbourne to get a taste of territory life. You'll meet them next. Right across the territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. A group of high school students from Melbourne have visited the CDU rural campus in Catherine to learn more about agriculture in the territory. They're the last group of more than 400 students that have gone through this program this year, Max Rowley caught up with the group as they were learning how to brand cattle. I'm just going to ask one person at a time to step up here. going to hand the brand to you guys. I want you to hold the handle here. Hi, I'm Tony Wershing and I'm a lecturer here at CDU at the Catherine Rural Campus. Take me through what you were teaching the students this morning. Um, so we're just doing a branding exercise uh, with the students to just to give them an idea on what we do uh, when we're branding our cattle. Obviously, we're not we're not doing the real deal, but it's just to give them a bit of a hands on um, hands on go at, at at doing the branding activity. Most of these students are city kids. Uh, how much do you find that they know about the cattle industry? Don't know a real lot at all. Um, they do. There is a dairy that's not far from the school that they go down and uh, work with the dairy cows down there. But yeah, apart from that, they yeah don't know a lot about it at all. Okay, so, and then what I'm going to get you to do is I'm going to you can pick wherever you want on the pallet to brand. And what I want you to do is hold it on the wood like this. And because the wood the wood is so flat, and we need to move it around, go forwards, backwards, side to side to get a nice clean brand that we can see, okay? Yeah, hi, uh, my name's Tim Dovenvorden. Uh I'm a remote expeditions teacher with Caulfield Grammar and I work with Caulfield Grammar students from Melbourne up in Northern Territory. So tell me how this program came about. Yeah, sure, so uh, Caulfield Grammar has been coming up here only for two years so far. Uh, previously our Year 9 students would go over to China for a bit of an expedition um, but COVID hasn't allowed that uh, so we already had a connection up here uh, with uh, c- the community in Jabiru and it's been part of our long-term plan to build a stronger connection with them. Uh, with COVID-19, we've fast-tracked that and timing just worked in our favour um, and we were able to build a really close relationship with the Gunchakmi Aboriginal Corporation in Jabiru and we've been working with them really closely. And this is the Catherine leg of the journey now. Uh, what are the students up to in the Catherine region? So once we come down to Catherine, the students get to go out to Nipmaluk. Then we have a farm day uh, where we work with Catherine Rural College. They go through four different workshops, cattle, horses, fencing and car maintenance. 
Um, it's a pretty hot day, but the kids really get a lot out of it, and usually it's one of the highlights from the trip. And what, what do you hope that the students get out of this, this trip? Uh, part of the reason that we come up here is to provide contrast. Um, so it's not just about um, you know, living in the city for these guys. Uh, we want to prepare them for a long life of, of travel and learning, and part of that is kind of exploring new areas. So to come up here and to see like Catherine Rural College and living on a farm, working on a farm, um, all the different skills that are involved. A lot of these kids have prob- probably never seen a Brahmin bull or even touched a horse. So for them to come up here and see those things um, really helps to broaden their horizons. And you've got a lot of your students coming from Melbourne up to the Territory, but is there any kind of exchange where some Territory students get to do the opposite and experience city life for a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a program that we're kind of just establishing now. Um, we want to make sure that it's on the local school's terms. So we're our partnership with Jabber Area School, we want to make sure that they're kind of comfortable with uh, what's offering and and you know we're not here to be the the privileged melbourne school kind of providing this opportunity it's got to be something that that they're wanting to do and um you know if we're coming up here to broaden our horizons then we want to make sure that that's offered to them when they go to melbourne as well hi i'm saskia i go to caulfield grammar in melbourne and i'm 15. i actually love it up here it's a lot of fun um it's quite hot but yeah i love it it must be pretty different to to school life in Melbourne. Yeah, very different. Um, I think going to school up here would be a good experience. I think sometimes it'd be tough depending on what school you're at or like where you're coming from, but I think it'd be really good. Take me through some of the, the things that you've been doing here in the Territory. Um, we've been doing a lot of like river cruises, like the Nitmuluk Gorge, um, and a lot of four-wheel driving and coming here to the Catherine Cattle Station. Um, yeah, we've been doing a lot of outdoorsy stuff, but I really like that. What's been the highlight of the trip so far for you? Um, going to the Jabu Airport and being able to sit in like the charter planes and learn how they work. Do we have a future pilot here? I hope so, yeah. That's what you'd like to do after school? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd like to join the Air Force and, yeah, become a pilot through that. How about the cattle work and the the work that you've been doing here at the Catherine Rural Campus? Um, How have you found that part of the the trip? Um, I've loved coming to the cattle station and working with all the cows and horses and seeing how everything runs on a farm and I hope to one day maybe own my own farm. That is Saskia from Caulfield Grammar School in Melbourne speaking there to Max Rowley. It is time now in the country hour to head to the sale yards. A big yard in at Roma today. Cheryl Stefano has the details. Good afternoon. Numbers rose to 7,325 at the Roma store sale. Cattle were mostly drawn from the usual supplier with numbers from western and northwestern Queensland. The overall yarding varied with steers accounting for over half of the yarding and included numbers of heavy steers and bullocks. A large buying panel was present and operating. Steers were still selling at the time of this interim report. Overall, the market mostly held firm from the previous week with price fluctuations reflective of quality variations. The limited number of lightweight steers under 200 kilos sold to an interim top of 702.2 
2.2. Lightweight steers under 280 kilos sold to an interim top of 690.2. Medium weight steers under 330 kilos made to 670.2, while medium weight steers under 400 kilos sold to a top of 614.2. Heavy feeders made to an interim top of 554.2, while young heavy bullocks to processors sold to an interim top of 417.2. This has been Cheryl Stavano for the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you for that, Cheryl. In the live export trade, feeder steers to Indonesia. Good quality cattle coming off the floodplain country. Getting around $5.30 a kilo. We've been told that some have even fetched $5.50 a kilo. Our top story today is that Bamban Spring Station near Pine Creek has been sold. It's been snapped up by a carbon company. You can read more about that right now. If you head along to our website at NT Country Hour. Keep it rural. Yeah.